No one comes to church to hear a word of despair. No one comes to church to feel hopeless or beat down. And I really do think that our ministry would be pretty seriously compromised if instead of saying the universal, we are the church of the universalist spirit of love and hope, we said we're the church with the universalist spirit of doom and gloom. And yet, only talking about love and hope without acknowledging pain and suffering and despair Only living in love and hope misses the reality of our lives. It misses the honest weight and heaviness and force of despair. As Brazilian liberation theologian Ruben Alves says, hope without suffering creates illusions, naivete, and drunkenness. Suffering without hope produces resentment and despair. I believe that all of us Everyone in this room, by simply being human, we know something of hope and we know something of despair, that thorn in our spirits, heavier than lead, as the poet describes it. So this morning, I want to begin there, in that place where we cannot feast on the richness of our lives. We cannot pull the image from the mirror and feast on the richness of our lives because we have no appetite, because there is no elation, no joy to be found. And I wonder this morning, do you know what causes your despair? I'm sure many of you do. Perhaps it's the short, dark days of Minnesota winter. And every November you have a journal entry, year after year, that reads gray clouds, dark, hard to get out of bed, feeling depressed. Or maybe life has handed you one hard knock after another, and just when it seems you've made it through, life comes and just gives you another punch in the gut, and despair is a constant companion for you. Or maybe it's when you open Twitter or Facebook or just the newspaper, and you can't pull your eyes away from the seemingly endless stream of bad stories and craziness these days. Maybe what fills you with despair is the sense that This is the way things are. Whatever things you're talking about and however they are, and you really don't believe another way or another world is possible. Or maybe you see the impact of climate change. Read about glaciers melting. I've seen glaciers melting. Maybe you visited around the world or in Montana and you know this is happening. You see heat waves increasing and like author Reg Morrison, you think, Well, here we are at midnight, this is his quote, all seven billion of us huddled together upon our small bank and shoal of time with sea levels rising and an environmental storm gathering about us. The fate of our species, he says, hangs in the balance and the matter will be decided for for us within the next millisecond on our evolutionary stopwatch. And I know I'm only describing, I'm only scratching the surface of what might bring you despair. And here's what I wonder about despair, your despair, my own despair. Does it have a tracking number? And by that, I mean, do we know where it comes from? Do we know the source of our despair? Do we know where it comes from? Do we know the path it follows in our hearts or in our minds before it finally settles in us and we feel the full weight of despair? Do we know where it comes from and where it lives 
so that then we might actually metabolize and transform it in some fashion? Or does our despair keep moving from location to location, from one place in our body to another, so that it never stops long enough to be fully felt, to be opened or examined, unwrapped? And what about hope? Where does hope live in your body? How does it move through you? Where does it come from? Here's what I know. Despair is real, and so is a stubborn hope. They are twins. They are woven together, intimately related. And I want to tell you a story this morning about hope and despair in one place I know it, my own life, my own body. During my sabbatical this past September and October, I met weekly with Susan Raffo. She's a local healer and body worker, a justice seeker. She's a founding member of the People's Movement Center, this organization at 41st in Chicago. Susan describes her body work in this way. She says, some body work approaches are direct and targeted on specific elements of the body. And she says, this is great for dealing with an injury or particular pain. My work, she says, is more like the culture change approach of body work. Slower, based on deep listening and working with the body, my training and interest, she says, is in shifting deeply held, sometimes generational and historical, these deeply held patterns that show up as pain and anxiety and stress and disconnectedness. In other words, and these are my words, her work is about shifting despair, shifting those patterns that create anxiety and suffering and pain in us. It's about shifting despair. Susan also does her work with the deep awareness of the ways that race and racism and whiteness live in our bodies, however we're racialized, whether it's white or as a person of color. And what I will tell you is that every meeting I had with Susan, I met with her every week, every meeting I had with her, I wept for a good part of the session. I just cried. I would talk and cry and talk. Susan invited this sort of openness. She was deeply attentive to my emotions, to my body, to my words, and she would encourage me to slow down. She'd say, whoa, whoa hold on, hold on. Just feel that for a minute. Just feel what's happening in your body right now. Slow down for a minute. I would be talking about my life or about parenting or my own racial justice journey or our journey and something would catch in my throat and she'd say, whoa, something's going on. Just hold on a minute, it's okay. And often there would be tears and there would be big feelings and uh, early on in that very first session, I just decided as I was starting to cry, I decided not to fight or judge my tears and to simply trust that my body knew what it needed, that these tears, and these feelings were necessary. They were, they were a release. They were this real-time processing of my despair, some trauma. They were me just simply feeling what it means to be in this particular body with its experiences in this world. What was very clear to me in those meetings with Susan is that I was moving with intention, with her accompaniment, in this borderland space between despair and hope. As I felt old wounds and traumas and let my body process those feelings in a safe space, I also felt the presence of a stubborn hope, this animal deep within me saying, this life, 
this heartbreak, this joy, this ministry, this parenting, this justice making, this being alive. This is exactly what I want. This was an embodied experience I had with Susan. Despair and hopelessness, when I felt those feelings, it felt like a constriction on my, on my chest, in my stomach, a tightening in my, in my midsection, my legs. It felt heavy and the weight was intense. And hope, when I felt hope, you watch my hands right now, it felt like this breeze sort of moving through my body, this uplift, this reaching out, this desire to connect with the life energy in myself, to connect that energy with the life energy around me. And so what I wonder this morning is, what do you know about your own despair and your own hope? What is your paper bag, if you will, your place in a world that feels chaotic and full of despair, that grounds you, that anchors you, that goes with you? How do you navigate your despair? What do you know about your own despair and hope? That question makes me think of this experience I had just last week, Sunday. I was. Uh, I was teaching our Pathway to Membership class. I had the great joy of leading this class. This is a class for people new to the church who are interested in learning more about our history and Unitarian Universalism and are really curious and excited about potentially becoming members. During that first session, we do what's called a walking spectrum exercise. And I'll explain this because that may not make sense if I just say a walking spectrum exercise. It works like this. I would read a statement. And then depending on how people related to that statement, they would either be on one end of the room or somewhere in the middle or on this end of the room, depending on the statement. So there were sort of, you know, poles to the statement, like, I believe in God. I don't, I'm an atheist. Like you, so you'd move to the side of the room or somewhere in, de in between, depending on what you believed. It's a really powerful visual way to notice the diverse viewpoints and experiences in the room, which of course are reflected in this congregation as well. What brings us together is not a single shared belief, but a set of common practices. And that, those we say it every Sunday, welcoming and affirming and protecting the light in each human heart, listening deeply to where love is calling us next, and then acting with bravery and humility and compassion in service to justice. Those are the things that bind us together, no single belief. So one of the questions I asked in this class was, uh, the future seems hopeful, like stand on this side of the room, or the future seems scary, stand on this side of the room. And after I, after I asked that question, people sort of settled into the room. There were some people over here, a few people here, a few people over here. Some people felt a lot of hope. Some people were clearly in despair. But one individual in the class was just moving, walking, just moving back and forth. Just walking back and forth, into despair, out of despair, deep hope, out of hope, back into despair. Just moving, like, and we were sort of watching, and I realized, I was feeling in my body, like, that's right. That's, that's true. Like, that is actually what it's like being alive in this world right now. There, this, this person was, it wasn't a static answer, like, the world's hopeful. The world's going to hell. It was like, no, it is both. And, and it was being profoundly embodied in that space. The sense that the future was filled with hope. Yes, of course it was. And things look pretty dire. Both things were true. These questions about hope and despair, 
They are the questions of our lives, and they are the gift of this season. Through the winter solstice, through Hanukkah, through Christmas, we are given language and ritual and embodied experiences to help us feel the full weight of despair and to know the stubbornness of hope. That thing with feathers, as Emily Dickinson says, that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. This stubborn hope, as Ruben Ruben Alves, this Brazilian liberation theologian, says, it is the notion that imagination is more real and reality less real than it looks. The stubborn hope is the hunch that the overwhelming brutality of facts that oppress and repress is not the last word. This stubborn hope is the suspicion that reality is more complex than realism wants us to believe, and that the frontiers of the possible are not determined by the limits of the actual, and that in a miraculous and unexpected way, life is preparing the creative events which will open the way to freedom and resurrection, to new life. Our winter solstice service reminds us that the extinguishing of the light is not the last word. In that service, we surrender to darkness, and it is like a death when the candles and the lights go out, but reality is more complex than that, and out of that death, the light returns and the days begin to lengthen again. At the end of every solstice service, we sing a song with these words, and I've changed them a bit to make them a bit more all gender inclusive, and I I kind of just want to sing it, so I may sing part of it to you or not, but it's this, let your little light shine, shine, shine. There might be someone down in the valley trying to get home. It could be me, or it could be you. It could be a friend or a sibling too. There could be someone down in the valley trying to get home. So let your little light shine, shine, shine. Let your little light shine, oh my soul. It just goes on and on, and it's beautiful. And it is true, because sometimes we are in the valley, and sometimes we're on the hillside with the light saying, hey, friend, hey, partner, hey, lover, I'm here. I'm here. Despair is a part of life, and, and we help each other come home to hope. The Christmas story as well holds both stubborn hope and deep despair. This story is about the stunning hope we feel in the presence of a newborn child, one more redeemer, born to bless the world, to heal the world. And the very nature of the story suggests that hope is not born in fancy mansions or corporate bedrooms or fancy palaces but that hope lives in the grassroots, in the simple welcome and hospitality of those places. Hope is born in a humble stable. And the despair of the Christmas story, the part that we so rarely hear or tell, is that King Herod, alarmed at the growing opposition to his power and his rule and the threat of this new baby Jesus, the king, calls for all of the baby boys in Jerusalem to be slaughtered. Deep despair and hope swirl together.
We know despair. We know despair, don't we? Naming it, metabolizing it, and remembering the frontiers of the possible are not determined by the limits of the actual. That allows stubborn hope to emerge. And we know stubborn hope, too. Stubborn hope is this congregation, First Universalist, joining dozens of other Twin Cities faith communities and publicly declaring ourselves a sanctuary congregation, dedicating ourselves to educating and activating our congregation, to amplifying and responding to the voices of immigrant leaders and to speak out against discrimination toward any and all targeted people. Stubborn hope is the daily check-in call or email from a dear friend who knows you and loves you. Stubborn hope is showing up as your real self in all of your glorious imperfections, willing to listen, willing to learn, willing to share your story, willing to follow the call of love. Stubborn hope is teaching our children to love this earth even though it is changing and the seas are rising. Stubborn hope is learning to trust our bodies and to listen and respond to our feelings in real time. Stubborn hope, as Ruben Alves says, is planting dates, even though we will never eat them. Stubborn hope is a boy in a bag. May you know the power of stubborn hope this season. Amen.